welcome to You Need to See This, a weekly film podcast about filling the gaps in our collective cinematic experience. I'm Cozy Orland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bree. Hi. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. Uh, how, are, how are you? Oh, you know, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I'm trying to preserve all my stores of hot chocolate because it's delightful, but also wanting to eat hot chocolate every night. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I can't make a box of hot chocolate last more than a week. It's kind of like one of those things. No, yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. That's yeah. That's how you know it's going well. (laughs) You got to burn through the through the chocolate like it burns through your esophagus. Yum. Yes, that's probably why I have been avoiding it for a minute. (laughs) I want to make my esophagus survive. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, we're comedians, writers, filmmakers, and high school archetypes. I'd eat lunch with all of you. Um, Every episode, (laughs) one of us tries to convince the other and the audience that they need to see a specific film. And we do it all with no spoilers whatsoever. Very exciting. Uh, Today, we got a special guest. It's somebody I go way back with. He's the author of the 30 Rock book, Inside the Iconic Show, from Blurg to Egot. It's Mike Rowe. Hey, uh, great to be here. I just had hot chocolate last night myself. Ooh, what kind? What kind? Tell us. Uh, um, I think it's a Swiss Miss. I think it was a Swiss Miss. With or without marshmallows? Uh, my wife had with marshmallows. I have without. Ooh, I like it. I like Ooh. it. These are good choices both. I like the, yeah. the Mexican hot chocolate, the abuelitas. Oh, yeah. That's so spiced. Good. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that sounds good. Lately, what I've been doing, and I just ran out of this, so it's not going to happen again, um, I've been doing a combo of crate and barrels, like weird tin of hot chocolate that is tall and thin and has some pieces of chocolate in it. Uh, a combo of that huh. and Swiss Miss Peppermint. And it's nice. so fucking mm-hmm. good. It's a problem how good it is. You're having a hot wow. chocolate mashup. Oh, yeah. God. That's how we You're like a little, bar- little bartender making up your hot chocolate <laughs> mixed I'll take it. I'll do a virgin hot chocolate on the rocks. <laughs> I would love a hot chocolate bar. I would go to it like in the middle of like a, a snowy or rainy day. Not that like yeah. we get those very often, but I would love to go to a little hot chocolate stand. That's like arti- artisan like hot chocolates. And, and yes. Oh my God. Like super, super fancy indie hot chocolates, like very hipster hot chocolates. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just want this to be a hot chocolate cast now. Yes, I would Chocolate live cast. that life. <laughs> God, that would be so good. Um, yeah, me and Cozy, we do go back quite a ways. It's been, uh, you know, I remember you were my first pals in the comedy world, and uh, you know, some of my Aww. early improv teams, and uh, and you know, it's uh, always always great to connect with you, sir. Yeah, you too. You're such a sweetie. I'm always happy and to. I'm talk making to a you. new friend with Bree here. Yeah, I love That's it. So I love it. Do you remember the first time we ever met? I have to ask people that because I never I don't. Do. Wait, do you, I, I do not remember the first time we ever met. Same. You, There's no way. Comedy is too crazy. Exactly. I just uh, – I, I uh, have all these memories of just like doing weird things in parking lots late at night with random people. And uh, I'm like, it sounds like I'm a drug pusher or something. But no, just did comedy <laughs> and rehearsed a lot outside at night. So It's true. Yeah, we were on a, we were on an L.A. indie improv team together called Adele Club. Close, a hilarious yeah. combination of notorious indie improv guru <laughs> slash monster Del Close and wonderful UK pop icon Adele. I love exactly. that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, I do you remember anything from from those from that team? I'm trying to. I, I love the Del Close. I remember uh, oh. you know hanging out in your apartments. I remember uh, searching for parking. I remember <laughs> uh, going to the grocery store near your place uh, as was a was a, a late night go to of mine. And uh, you know I, I really enjoyed. Uh, we had a good round of round of uh, folks in that group, and yeah. uh, I was just quoting an Adele Close bit from uh, 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 it was Katie. I believe her name was Katie uh, to my wife the other day, and oh, wow. uh, when she did a improv bit, I that's always stuck in my mind. Where I was like, "Oh, this is the grossest thing I've seen a girl do in improv, and I love it." Uh, she just like <laughs> reached down into like her improv panties and like started throwing at people. She'd be like, "Period blood, period blood." <laughs> <laughs> amazing i love it oh my gosh yeah. i love that's that, I like that visual yeah, yeah exactly i was like this is uh <laughs> i love this i don't know what's happening but this is great that's a beautiful thing i'm so happy to hear that because i've forgotten i think everything from that team so any reminder <laughs> of it remi- it makes me very happy i'm like also, oh yeah, yeah those people were on it and they were great Exactly. Yeah. If you're doing that much improv too, it's like hard to recall, you know, you know, it's a good bit when it, when you can remember it because it becomes such a routine <laughs> thing that like, Truly. there's, yeah. Yeah. It's like, we said so many crazy things on stage that, uh, yeah, it's, it's very rare for something to totally stick in your brain, but it's true. I'm on my 22nd improv team, I think. So at this yeah. point, it's oh a miracle goodness. to remember the old days. <laughs> so yeah. cool. Oh, it's crazy. Um, Mike, tell us about your book. So I just wrote a book about the TV show 30 Rock. Uh, It was a project that I got asked to do in late 2019, right before the pandemic. Uh, So, uh, you know, that's basically what I spent my pandemic doing was uh, obsessively watching 30 Rock and uh, calling famous people and trying to talk them into talking to me for this book. Uh, It was, uh, you know, real joy. I think that the book is I'm super proud of it. Um, you know, it's not too uh, kiss uppy. I think that we get into <laughs> a lot of the problematic parts of Thirty Rock. Uh, so just the fact that they thought like this show was came out. It started fifteen years ago. It ended like ten years ago, and uh, it's they they did blackface at least three times during the oh, show, God. which seems like a lot. <laughs> but a like lot. other NBC shows did too at the time because. That's how woke white people at the time thought they could show that they're not racist. <laughs> okay. But, um, but, you know, comedy writers, we never, we're not always on point, but, uh, you yeah. know, it was a fantastic project. And I think I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, it's one of the great comedies of all time. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, I'm so glad that you called out the problematic stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have questions about it. I wanted to say it's fucking awesome. It takes courage. Yeah, to do. I mean, I think it. that's the thing that this whole project really taught me is that, uh, you know, people are going to get stuff wrong. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we did to totally cancel this forever. Like this is still a piece of genius art. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, let's also not ignore the fact that, uh, you know, they had some questionable jokes about trans people. They had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, problems in Mathematic things they said about pretty much every race, but like also mm-hmm. uh, was also a groundbreaking show with a female lead, and uh, you know moving forward in that way. So yeah, right. like I'm watching Kimmy Schmidt for the first time, and good yeah. lord, there's so much painful racial stuff going on. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm like, I thought this was a show about like someone her. who escaped a bunker, and they're like, no, no, only race jokes. Yeah, her boyfriend's is it Dong? They give him some sort of yeah absurd. That's what they yeah. gave him the name. Yes, his name yep. is Dong. Uh, yep. Yes. And uh, I mean, another great show, although it's funny, like uh, one thing I thought was fascinating about that show is that the original plan was for that to be like another NBC show to follow up 30 Rock. But then when they were they were like finishing the season and NBC was like, yeah, we're not going to run this. And they sold it to (laughs) Netflix. 
So, oh my god! Wow. And Netflix is like, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it was like early Netflix days. So it was uh you know it's it's uh definitely interesting to see like the evolution of these shows as we get to this whole streaming world we're in now. And, uh, you know, it's like if 30 Rock came out a few years later, it probably would be a streaming show. And if it came out a few years earlier, it would have been canceled immediately because it was way too specific. Uh, But, you know, I think that it came out at just the right time in in our changing world. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see. Um, I want to know uh, sort of at the beginning of this, who would you recommend this book for? You know, I think that it is a uh, fun book for people are fans of the show, of course. I think that, um, you know, I have talked with some folks who are like just watching it for the first time, too, and using the book to sort of get them through it. Uh, You know, it goes through there's like I tried to go through like every episode to have at least like some sort of funny story or funny bit that I talk about from each show. Um, You know, also, I had some fantastic interviews in here. My favorite thing that I did probably was in uh, season one, it was like NBC bought two shows about uh, late night comedy and put them on at the same time with like 30 Rock and Studio 60. They launched the same season, which is an absurd idea. And apparently like behind the (laughs) scenes, uh, people thought that 30 Rock was like a favor to Lorne Michaels and Tina Fey to like keep Tina Fey and Lorne Michaels happy and in their good graces and it would probably get canceled right away. Um, but instead the other show got canceled and I had a chance to talk with like Bradley Whitford from that show about it. I talked with Nate Cordry from studio 60 about, uh, that show and their oh, sort wow. of rivalry. And, uh, it was mm-hmm. great just hearing Nate Cordry talk about the fact that he thought that studio 60 was such a good show. And then he was at UCB and heard his improv friends making fun of it and uh oh no he uh he was like wait this isn't this isn't as good as i think it is um (laughs) so it was uh it was fascinating to hear from his perspective and and uh you know i think there's lots of fun stories like that in the book and um it's it's fun like he also he's someone who's unique in that he was on studio 60 and then he guest starred on 30 rock later on uh as uh as liz lemon's uh gay neighbor so he uh he oh, right. talked about how he got to go behind the scenes and talk with uh, Tina Fey like as, as and they're like all right let's get into it and they're like did you hate us as much as we hated you and and they were like yes of course so <laughs> <laughs> oh man i yeah, that's cra- it's crazy to me that like that it's not because there's always like those cases of like parallel thinking, like, you know, yeah. Armageddon, total impact. But it's weird that the yes. same network would put out like, yeah, this is fine to like, <laughs> both good. Y'all have a sitcom and the drama about the same thing. And uh, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Like, it, like uh, you know, I don't think it, as much as I would love it to happen, I don't think we were ever going to get to uh, late night comedy as a new genre of TV that was on all the time. Right. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just so recursive at that point. <laughs> yes. Too meta. So. Everyone's yeah, like, I love oh, that. that's I like Aaron that. Sorkin, when he was doing Studio 60, like he asked Lorne Michaels if he could uh, like sort of shadow SNL to learn a little bit more about it. And Lorne Michaels is like, no, no, you can't <laughs> because I, this, I'm doing a show about this too. So Mine. Yeah. It's so um, funny. <laughs> uh, I wanted to, to just like sort of ask what you were watching before 30 Rock. Like what was sort of your comedy tastes before you you 
started watching this show. Yeah, I mean, I think that I grew up as, you know, a big comedy nerd like a lot of us. Um, you know, I think that it probably started when I was real little, when my dad let me just stay up way too late at night to watch, uh, like, The Tonight Show when I was real little, and then, like, an SNL. And, um, you know, I, I was going back over some of my comedy tapes from when I was a kid, because I'm old enough that there were cassette tapes yes, when I was a kid. It. Uh, and I'm, my dad got me. I'm like, oh, these are also problematic. Uh, I got uh, it was like, it was like uh, Ronnie Dangerfield and Bill Cosby were my first oh, two no. tapes, yeah. and uh, and then Monty Python. Monty Python was the other big one. So, oh, but you know, I, I've always been uh, you know into um, you know weird comedy, and you know I always love getting super specific with stuff. But I think Thirty Rock is is one that really. Uh, hit at just the right time. Cause like it came on like right before I moved to LA, um, mm. you know, it was a show that uh, was just like so delightful and really helped inspire me along my way to getting into comedy and, and uh, falling in love with the comedy scene. That's great. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah that's I just, fantastic. I just started rewatching it just to kind of like refresh my mind. It's so good. It's still good. Like the, just the amount of jokes per page. Yes. Insane. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that's really specific and unique about it was it was, it was sort of like the transition into more and more single camera sitcoms, which were uh, instead of sort of the multi-cam sitcoms that were still very popular at the time. Mm. Uh, you know, you're able to fit more jokes on the page. It takes them mm-hmm. a few episodes to figure it out. Like the early episodes of 30 Rock, you're like, oh, they're kind of like waiting for laughs here. But like mm-hmm. if you get into it, you can sort of see like, oh, like this is uh, they they get the pace right. Like they sort of realize like it's like The Simpsons where uh, you don't have to pause for laughter. The Simpsons just realized they could put a million jokes in. It's like <laughs> right. I think like I put those two shows as like the two, uh, you know, most joke dense, funny shows ever. And and uh, I think that uh, it's fun to see sort of a similar absurdity in a live action sense with 30 Rock. Yeah. Yeah, same kind of visual gags, too. Yeah, yeah. I loved – I mean, I first got into writing this book because I wrote a uh, oral history for my day job as a journalist about uh, werewolf bar mitzvah. Uh, (laughs) So I love getting very deep into super specific dumb jokes. And, uh, you know, so that's what led to someone reaching out to me and asking me to write a whole book about this. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. I – it's funny. I sort of – I missed the first two or three seasons of 30 Rock because mm-hmm. I have this SNL bias that I've always had for a pretty long time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, people from modern SNL do something else? No, thank you. <laughs> and then I finally got around <laughs> to actually watching like the third or, or fourth season. I was like, okay, I like this. I'll add this to my rotation. But I never got around to those first couple seasons at all. <laughs> I mean, Tina Fey herself said she doesn't like the pilot. Like it's, uh, you know, there's so many, it, it's so weird how TV's changed in that, like there used to be shows where they would give them a chance to sort of find their voice. Like nobody watched Seinfeld at first. Cheers mm-hmm. took a while to catch on. Like uh, Parks and Rec, everyone always says start with the second season because the first season's not good yet. Oh, of course. Um, but like 30 Rock, I think is similar in that it takes a little while to find its voice. And, um, you know, I feel like it sort of really starts hitting with the second season. Like there's already genius in the first season, but the second season it really clicks. And then like third season was when uh, Tina Fey was doing Sarah Palin on SNL. So that sort of like helped them get bigger ratings and, and sort of mm. made it part of the consciousness. Mm, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm not surprised. Uh, I... Yeah, it's it's interesting to see when things find their voice and 
I pretty much come into any show being like, this pilot will be terrible. These are the rules. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I just watched the pilot the other night and I was like, oh, this is a good-ish, but like, I'll <laughs> give it a chance and see if they get another episode or two and it, it finds its thing. Um, but, you know, shows get canceled so fast now with streaming and everything. And, uh, you know, like a whole season is up at once and then it's canceled like a month later. So, yeah, it's crazy. Right. It's hard for pilots to be really strong. Like I always definitely give like the first yeah. season like a lot of great like a grace period of like this mm-hmm. is my trial. Like I'm going to see how this goes. Yeah, like I let, I let myself like fanfic in my head a little bit about like how good could this be if they uh, improve just a couple things. And right. uh, yeah, like pilots, you have to like introduce all these characters, introduce the premise, uh, like, you know, get people uh, give people a story that they're captivated by in the pilots. And like especially with like sitcoms, like you're doing that in less than half an hour. Like that's right. a that's a lot to do. It's a tall order. It's hard, it's, yeah. It's a lot to to kind of establish all of those things and get people hooked on the show and get all the story and yeah, the characters in while still yeah, making it why, very funny. That's why none of us have sold pilots yet. Exactly. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. That's why I keep guys. reminding myself, yeah, whenever I write a pilot, I'm like, it only has to be as good as a pilot is. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like, I, you know, you, you do your best, and then, like, there's always some reason that, like, there's, like, it's not going to work for everybody. Like, there's very few things that do. I mean, that's one thing that I thought was interesting about 30 Rock was that, uh, like, Tina Fey said that her and her uh, co-showrunner, Robert Carlock, were, like, trying to create cheers. Like, they were trying to make a really popular, broad-spectrum spec- uh, sitcom, and they just failed at it they were writing two specific jokes uh, <laughs> like yeah like they they're like sorry this is this is all we can write and uh you know they found its audience but um you know i think that there is something to the idea that it's very hard to like write for everyone and you sort of just have to write for yourself and and do what you think is funny and awesome yeah it's funny because Cheers came to mind as like the pilot that for me i was like oh that's like one pilot that comes to mind that like really was solid Yes. Uh, and, and like premise wise, and they really just like set it all up where it's all kind of one location based. And it was like joke, jokey, very good, like sitcom pilot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's helpful because it like focuses so much around Sam Malone. Like it's, uh, you know, they're, they they don't give a ton of time to all the little characters. Like it took years for people to really get to know about Norm and Cliff and, mm-hmm. and the rest of the crew. And I think that's a really helpful thing. They like they don't try to shove the whole ensemble at you at once. Like it's uh, let's take some time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always think is helpful. Uh, you know, I think that it is, um, you know, one thing that I talked to one of my interview subjects for my book about, about cheers was like how it's such genius, but like one of the reasons why people don't be like, Oh geez, cheers is so problematic. is cause like they just had all white people. So they didn't have to deal with any race issues. Right. True. Of course. No surprise. Yeah, they're like, Oh, right. Let's just not talk about that. And then, uh, then we can't screw anything up. Yeah, yeah, they're living in the bubble, the, the yeah, white exactly. bubble. Yes. I feel, I feel like white people always find a way, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, no That's the official what. slogan. White people always finding a way. So sad. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah, speaking of interviews, you did over 50 interviews for it. That is a lot of interviews. Yeah. I talked with a lot of people. I, I got a chance to talk with Pee Wee Herman. was one of my Whoa. favorites. Ooh, Peter oh Rubens. God. Yes, yes. Mr. Uh, Mr. Paul Rubens was a delight. Oh, he Paul was uh, just as uh, as nice as you'd expect him to be, as you want him to be. Um, he he still keeps in touch with people from Thirty Rock, which I thought was nice. He was uh, he pulled up his phone list while I was talking to him, and was like he like he has like a really elaborate contact database <laughs> where he like 
uh, he was like, he like typed in 30 rock and he's like, ah, yes, I have like 52 names have come up because, uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, all the, all the 30 rock people he knows, uh, including like he kept in touch with members of the crew and he's just, uh, a lovely mm-hmm. dude. I talked with, um, both him and one of the crew members about like their moments, uh, interacting together. Cause, uh, the prop master, his, he got a start working on Wee's playhouse back in the day and then, uh, got to reconnect with Paul Rubens on 30 rock. Whoa. Wow, yeah, it's a it's a full, sort of full circle moment, and uh, yeah, Paul Rubens was on the show as a weird uh, inbred prince who uh, <laughs> had little legs and was confined <laughs> to a wheelchair, and it was just such a weird character. Wow, uh, I love and, that episode. Uh, yeah, it's so good, and like yeah, Kevin Ladson, who was the prop master, had to like build the special rig for him, wow. and they got to got to you know talk about old days and find out they. Uh, remembered each other and it was it was very adorable it was uh Aww. you know i loved him talked with him talked with nathan lane talked with bradley whitford um you know talked with several members of the cast uh along with a lot of the guest stars i got to interview matthew broderick which was cool Whoa. Oh. That's so awesome. yeah lots of great lots of great folks lots of great little insights in this book that i think you will uh all very much dig and uh, you know i think it's good just if you're into comedy too it's you know i love an oral history uh like it's semi-oral history semi-narrative like because i sort of the mashup of the formats for this book mm-hmm. um like i but yeah i love just sort of learning about things this way like i'm reading an oral history slowly, but I'm going through the oral history of uh, CAA, the agency, even though I know nothing about agencies <laughs> or businesses, just because I'm like, mm-hmm. this is interesting. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, if Story Rack's not your thing, I think you will still find some interest in it. But uh, but yeah, great for fans and for uh, comedy fans alike. Amazing. Wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Paul uh, P- Paul Rubens that episode I just because I just started rewatching it just the that character it took me so long to even realize that that <laughs> who it was I was like who why is this face so familiar and then it clicked that it was Pee Wee but that whole uh, that whole episode cracked me up that was probably yeah, the first I episode love- of the first season that I like laughed out loud a lot consistently like throughout. Yeah. Yeah, like there's a few episodes of the first season where they're like, this is where we found our voice. And I know that's one of them uh, where they thought they did. Like they didn't know if they were even getting picked up for the second half of the season yet when they shot that. And uh, I, I, Tina Fey sort of joked like around the uh, set, like they, they jokingly called that episode Goodbye America. Because <laughs> it was like, we are definitely getting canceled after doing something this weird. But, uh, but you know, it worked and they, they got picked up and it's <laughs> – uh, I think that sh- that's one of those episodes where you're like, oh, yeah, this is what 30 Rock is. It's going to be weird. It's going to be uh, absurd, but uh, also a delight. I, I have a, a friend uh, named Jenna, and I still use that that Paul where he's just like, Jenna, you are exquisite. And he's like touching the side of her face with his like little the little uh, prosthetic hand that he has. Also, Paul Rubin still has that hand. Perfect. Oh wow! <laughs> Love that. It's uh, that is one of the things he asked to keep from the sets, and he uh, is still in his collection. Oh, Amazing! That must be yep. a delightful collection in general. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he has a weird. I'm sure that uh, whatever Paul Rubens collects is certainly weird. Yeah, right. There's nothing more delightful than celebrities who end up with weird collections. Yeah, <laughs> I just imagine his apartment or house uh, just looks like the set of like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like that's that's just what I. Imagine I it hope like. that's true in my heart, and I will uh, always. That will be the fan fiction version of it that I write. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds delightful. Um, I'm all out of questions. Bree, you got questions? Um, I have a couple. Let's see. Um, 
I guess Sorry, we're talking too much. I, I cannot talk about 30 Rock all day, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, always uh, happy to. Do you feel like there's any shows like that have sort of like hit the same sort of energy and uniqueness that 30 Rock uh, did for you personally? You know, since I then? think I think that, you know, Kimmy Schmitz, I think, is close. I think, though, that one thing that I've loved is seeing the shows created by people who are writers on 30 Rock. Ooh. And uh, mm. sort of like the I, – I, I think I talk in the book. I sort of call it like comedy Johnny Appleseeds where, uh, <laughs> like, these 30 Rock writers room went on to be super influential. Like, uh, I know, like, one of the guys from that room was a showrunner on Modern Family. There's mm. – um, but I'm also a huge fan of Tracy Wickfield who – she went on to create uh, the show Great News and then also has done the Save by the Bell reboot recently, which oh, wow. I keep telling everybody, check out the Save by the Bell reboot. It's uh, it's like the most woke, diverse show on TV. It is uh, super fantastic, super funny jokes, super like uh, like it's got like hard jokes. It's got uh, great diversity, great storylines. Um, it's got, I think, the best trans character I've seen on a TV show. Uh, it's uh, yeah, definitely thumbs up for that. So that's that's wow. a definitely a recommendation. Good to hear. I'm always adverse to like to reboots in general. I'm like, Ugh. like yeah, why right. are we doing reboots? Like, but this, that's- this shouldn't be good. But basically, the whole show is about um, you know how privileged and jerky the original Save by the Bell group is, Whoa. and okay. uh, and like it's like the main characters in this is like a young. Uh, Latina girl and uh, and African American, and it's about like they're going to like sort of the bad school in town, and that school gets shut down because of uh, budget cuts by Zach Morris, who is now the governor, uh, <laughs> and they get shipped over the, uh, to Bayside and have to go to school with all the rich prep jerks. This sounds like a stunt uh. pilot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, it's very much it like you're like, oh, they let them do this. But they also have like the original cast is involved. Um, you know, Slater is like a midlife dude who things are not going well for, but he's the oh. gym coach at school. Um, <laughs> Perfect. And uh, Elizabeth Berkeley plays uh, as she, as Jesse. She is the school counselor. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, Zach and as a uh, governor and Kelly, his wife is, uh, you know, in the governor's mansion and they are doing a terrible job running California. So <laughs> that's amazing. That sounds, uh, yeah, I'm just very happy when it's not like specifically held down and shackled to fan service. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like there's yeah. like fan servicey bits in it, but it's like, uh, it's very meta and you know, I think that that's, I always enjoy a meta comedy, but, I love meta. uh, you know, I think that that's I been am. good. And, um, you know, I think that that's, I also like girls five Eva is also sort of, trying to capture that but also like that one i think is too close to 30 rock like i was watching some i'm like i feel like they did this bit on 30 rock like it's good but they're like uh it's it's it feels like even more that tone so if you want more 30 rock watch get peacock because they're they're definitely going for the 30 rock feel with their sitcoms Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt was the closest that I would think of, like jo- at yeah. least like the fast paced kind of, kind of jokey energy yes. and absurd the absurdity of that show. And even yeah, Kimmy Schmidt's like, so good. Titus, I love Titus so much. Oh yeah, um, he's great. And just yeah, like Kimmy Schmidt, like uh, yeah, like it's it's funny because <laughs> like also yeah, sorry, what were you saying? No, you're totally fine. Uh, and just no, having that very present uh, music where there's just so much music happening at all times. Yes. Uh, Yes. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like uh, Tina Fey's husband does the scores for both 30 Rock and uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, and wow. it's 
it was interesting. Like, you know, it was like his first time doing that really on, on, uh, on 30 rock. And like, so you sort of hear it find, find its voice sound wise, but he gets really good and does some, some really fun musical bits. Interesting. Yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I have just one last question and then that's cool. it. Um, I guess my question is what's uh, what's sort of the most surprising thing that you found in your research of the show or like the interview process? Um, you know, I think that the thing that I was, uh, you know, most surprised about was sort of hearing about the whole process around the writer's strike that happened during the second season of the show. Mm. Um, oh, right. You know, it was a thing where, you know, they fi- found out they had to uh, shut things down. The writers weren't allowed to write for it anymore. And it was just so weird, like hearing about the you know weird conflicts it created on in the staff because like. They, they were still shooting after the writer's track started, but they just couldn't write anything anymore. So they had like some stuff. They're like, normally they would like punch the stuff up on air, like, or, but, like before it went to air, but like while they were shooting, but, mm-hmm. uh, but they were like, Oh, we can't punch up these jokes. Like it's, it's gotta be shot the way it's written. And, uh, and so there's like one weird episode where it's like, it's a little rough and you're like, Oh, I get why this would be rough. I think it's called like episode two thirteen or something like that. Cause it's basically like the episode where, uh, they never even titled dicks. They didn't want to get in trouble with the Writers Guild. Um, <laughs> oh wow! So it's it aired with no title on the DVDs. It's just listed as like episode two hundred eight or whatever. And uh, and yeah, it's it's uh, I thought it was interesting. And like I found video of um like they did a a, a reading of the ep- episode before it aired uh, at UCB as like a fundraiser for the production staff who were not getting paid at the time, which I thought was cool. And um, Oh, one other weird discovery I made that I was going to mention was I, I managed to get a copy of the original pilots, which was with Rachel Dratch instead of uh, Jane Krakowski as Jenna. And it's interesting to see just how mm. different that show would have been if they network hadn't decided that uh, Rachel Dratch was not liked by the fans and uh, they wrote her out of the show. Wow. Yeah, it's like uh, the original pilot's so weird because it's like they they – play more to the whole friendship between Jenna and Liz. Mm. And you're like, Oh, this makes sense. Cause these are like real life friends and you really feel it. But, yeah. uh, you're also like, uh, the, the test screenings, I got some notes from the writer's room. Uh, somebody gave me and, uh, it was basically the test screening said that nobody believed that Rachel Dratch would have her own sketch show. So oh, no. they, uh, Aww. they wrote her out and put in Jane Krakowski instead. Um, it made it harder to believe that her and Liz would be friends, but yeah. That's yeah, Rachel Dratch has such great like little guests, like just kind of the, yes. the random characters on that show. I I love Rachel Dratch's like performances and all those weird little side characters, yeah, like the cat like, lady. Yeah, I know that like they they had to rewrite the reshoot the pilots where you know they put in Jane Krakowski instead, and like they just had to have a moment with each other because they they moved Rachel Dratch into the cat wrangler character, <laughs> uh, and they just had to uh, talk with each other about like you know this is awkward, uh, but they they managed to make it work. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I had no idea that that was a that was a thing. So yeah, yeah it's uh, it's it's so weird. But like you know, it's it. Jane Krakowski is amazing, and um, you know, I think definitely yeah. uh, you know, what became such a huge part of that show. Um, but originally, it would have focused more on, on like Jenna would have been a bigger character with Rachel Dratch because it was sort of more about that friendship. Um, but with with her getting written out, they made it more about just uh, with the Jack relationship. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It makes me think about women who have gotten sketch shows and what's sort of believable in that context, I guess. Because in the past, it was Tracy Ullman, 
but mm-hmm. after that it was Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> and yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. And, and like Eliza Schlesinger <laughs> and, um, mm. and uh, the other person whose name I'm forgetting, who does a lot of stand up. I feel like. I oh, Amy Schumer. It. Amy Schumer. Exactly. Thank Amy you. Schumer. Yeah. In the context of, of a lot of those people, I guess like, Rachel Dratch feels like she makes more sense as Tracy Ullman than she does as Jenny McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I can very much see that. She's very much yeah. has a Tracy Ullman energy. I would love to see what like a Rachel Dratch sketch show is actually like, but yes. it was uh, it was such a it was such a bummer that she didn't get that opportunity. But I think that you know they made it work as best they could. Like Tina Fey fought for her to stay in it, but they they didn't mm-hmm. keep her around, and um, you know it was a bummer that 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 uh, had to change. But you know it's still found its voice and they still worked her into those guest starring roles throughout right and good on like yeah just like good sportsmanship kind of you know in in the sense that that despite that like sort of awkward falling out of her not being Mm -hmm. uh playing that role like just kind of really just like selling herself as as these characters too because i thought some those are some of the funniest moments were like this yeah and and she said she was more she was more comfortable in that role anyway because she like that's really what she did was she was just so good at characters um you know they they told the writer's room that like they came up with this idea of having her in guest star beds throughout the first season and they told Mm -hmm. them like you don't have to put them her in every episode but like we uh think this would be a fun way to use her so they they sort of used that and then uh brought her back a few times later on in the series as well Hmm. Mm. Nice. All right. Yeah, well, all the insider information. I love insider it. info. Get all the insider info in the book, and uh, also get to uh, read about why some reviewers on Amazon are saying that my book was too woke. Uh, <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, it's. Uh, I, I had one complaint about my social agenda. So the author needs to put away their social agenda, which I, I'm like, I guess I'm making the right people mad. Um, yeah, but, uh, but you know, I I think that the the uh, point of the book is just to both celebrate the show and see what we can learn from it. Nice. Yeah. Where can people get it? Uh, you can find it everywhere. Fine books are sold. I keep getting pictures of people uh, sending me shots of it at their local bookstore here in LA, like Skylight Books, and uh, I signed some books over at Chevalier's Books. Um, and you can also get on Amazon, um, you know, go to my Twitter. I'm at Mike Rowe and it's uh, there's a link right there for you to pick one up. But, you know, basically available everywhere. Support your local indie bookstore or get it on Amazon, whatever is easy for you. Um, I also read the I did the whole audiobook myself as well. I did. A, I spent like a week in a recording studio recording the audiobooks. So that's available for your perusal oh, as well. How out there. Fun. Yeah, and that. in libraries. It's available in libraries if you uh, want to pick it up from there. Oh, so you can get it from the library apps and stuff, too. Yeah, exactly. I've seen it on on various library apps. I've seen it, uh, seen people take pictures of it at their local library. So, um, you know, I'm just mostly excited about people reading this and getting it whatever way is easiest for you. Um, people keep asking me, like, you know, what's what's the best for you? Like, what do you get more royalties from? I'm like, I just want you to read it. So, so yeah, please, please go read the book. Spread the word. Yes. Wonderful. All right. Today. We are talking about a movie. Surprise, surprise. We're talking about 1998 seminal 90s teen movie, Can't Hardly Wait. And Brie, you need to see this. I do? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Now tell uh, me why. (laughs) I would love to. Mike is bringing this wonderful movie to us today, and I'm going to hit you with a synopsis. Uh, So, uh, which I wrote myself because the one on... 
IMDb looked like it was written by a very specific robot. <laughs> they used the word footballers in it, and I went, nope, can't oh, use this one. Nope. Footballers? <laughs> Almost did anyway. Huh. Um, anyway, here's a synopsis of Can't Hardly Wait. Huntington Hillside High School's graduating class is throwing the house party to end all house parties as a final blowout rager. And if that sounded like it was written by someone who never went to a single party in high school, then you read me like a book full of both dungeons and dragons. (laughs) (laughs) So at this party, the movie follows uh, several people, the everyman with a, uh, with a crush, um, the prom queen on which he has said crush, uh, her ex-boyfriend, the shitty jock, uh, and the nerd who wants to take revenge on said jock. Oh, and also hmm. the everyman's best friend, the social smart outcast, or the smart social outcast girl, and the 90s white guy who fetishizes black culture. Ooh. <laughs> yep, uh, almost 100% of the movie takes place at the party, and the whole thing is basically happening in like a 24-hour period. Okay. Nice. Mike, anything I'm missing on that one? Uh, no, I think that sums it up pretty well. I think that um, the thing that I love about this movie, like, well, I, I, we can get into this, but I think that like <laughs> my first like reason that I really love this is that I think that it's super fun to see because it's got a great cast. Plus, it's got so many people like sort of before they became stars later. Oh my god, um, you're right. So oh yeah, we'll yeah, definitely there's get like to little that. roles, but like so many people. Like Jason Siegel has a role in it for like two lines. Um, <laughs> wow. It's got like uh, all these random people in it that you like went on to do bigger things from like Lauren Ambrose, who I love in this movie, you know, before she was on Six Feet Under. Um, you know, it's got, uh, you know, Donald Faison in his sort of post clueless days. So uh, was in here. It's really fun. Um, just, you know, fantastic cast. And uh, I, I definitely think, you know, it's fun sort of playing spot the late 90s, early 2000s star in this. Oh, 100%. Jamie Presley's in it as like a no-name character. She's just uh, in the credit credit as girlfriend number one. But uh, yeah. (laughs) It's true. Uh, So uh, this movie was written and directed by uh, a team, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're writing and directing partners who also made Josie and the Pussycats, uh, cult classic at at this point. Uh, And they wrote a very Brady sequel, the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. (laughs) That was harder to say than I thought it would be. (laughs) Viva Las Rock, etc. They also did Maid of Honor, Surviving Christmas, and Leap Year, which I do remember seeing Leap Year because, of Mm. course, I saw Leap Year. (laughs) Um, um, Later, they made Mary Plus Jane with L.A. comedy person Scout Derwood and Liza On Demand with hilarious L.A. improv guy Travis Coles. He's great. Uh, Super fun. Um, also feels worth mentioning that Deborah Kaplan was married to Brecken Meyer, who happens to be in this very film. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But this, uh, the main cast of this movie, uh, it's starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, which, uh, this was right after I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. It's got Ethan okay. Embry as the guy who has a crush on her. Uh, Lauren Ambrose from Psycho Beach Party, which always deserves a shout out, uh, as the <laughs> smart social outcast friend. Uh, Charlie Corsmo as the the nerd seeking revenge. Uh, Seth Green on the heels of the first Austin Powers uh, as the white guy fetishizing black culture. <laughs> oh. And uh, Peter Facinelli as the jockey dude. Peter Facinelli. Is that uh, Twilight? Guy? I believe so. 
I know him. Uh, <laughs> I, I loved him in this. Like this is where I first got to know him. But then he was also in the first season of the Supergirl TV show as oh. like one of the main villains. But then they wrote him out because they the the show moved networks and they moved it from shooting in L.A. to shooting in Canada. And I assumed that he didn't feel like moving to Canada most <laughs> of the year. So uh, so the, he, they they switched to a different villain because no more wow. Peter Fascinelli. That's so uh, weird. That's a movie. Also, yeah. the name Peter Facinelli sounds like a villain name. Just says it's. It really does. <laughs> it's such a really perfect, weird. It's very specific as a name. <laughs> it is. It sounds like a character, uh, not not his uh, his born name. There's but, no uh, way it can't possibly be. <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> Jennifer uh, Love Hewitt, though. That's a that's a yeah. I feel like I knew her from Ghost Whisperer. Oh, nice. And of course, nice. I know, yeah, I know what she did last summer, but. Oh yeah, so many, so many things in the old days. She was real. I, big. I, I watched, I watched the movie with the uh, commentary the other night, and uh, it was funny because Jennifer Love Hewitt recorded a song for the movie, but they they play it in the car for like less than ten seconds. And it's very sad. <laughs> oh no, uh, that's so rough. Yeah, I was looking at her IMDb, and before before this movie, I saw that she had like music video, and I was like, oh. Gotcha. That's very yeah. specific. Info. Yeah, this is her music phase. She was her music phase at the time. But yeah, she <laughs> uh, did a song, but it is not on the soundtrack, and it is barely played in the movie. Wow. Mm. That, that's pretty rough, but I'm it's not rough. surprised. It's rough. She didn't have that bargaining power back then, I suppose. <laughs> uh, this movie uh, very much helped to establish like the 90s teen movie genre. Like, She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You, Drive Me Crazy, and of course, American mm-hmm. Pie. Uh, you know, movies where someone had a crush on someone else and there's a big party, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and I mean, uh, of course, the movie that laid the groundwork for those was Clueless, which also has people fr- uh, from this movie in it. And then the real groundwork was 80s John Hughes movies, but that's a different condo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, too, because it was, uh, you know, in, before we got back to like the R-rated comedy era with that started with like American Pie right. and went through like a bunch of the big Will Ferrell movies. Uh, mm. So this was they, they actually shot this movie as an R-rated comedy and then uh, had to go through and pull a bunch of stuff out of it to make it not R-rated uh, after Sony decided they didn't want to try and release an R-rated uh, teen comedy. Yeah, go on. People, if you've seen We're it ready before. Yet. Oh, oh, what's up? We weren't ready yet. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah, no exactly. way we could handle it as a culture. <laughs> You really couldn't, apparently. Like, it's funny. Like, like I, I got so mad when I first watched the DVD and listened to the commentary years ago because it's like the whole commentary is them talking about jokes that aren't in the movie uh, because they had to cut them. But I, I love how it turned out. Like, it, it worked. But there's, like, so many things that, like, there was, um, you know, they had a whole bit about pot brownies they had to cut back on. There was a crying drunk girl they had to cut out of the movie, basically, because of uh, they didn't want to show the teens getting drunk. Mm. Uh, there's a big adorable dog why would you cut a dog yeah. come on yeah, the dog. yeah the dog, a dog. you see the dog real briefly at the beginning when uh seth green's character first walked into the house but then the dog's just not in the rest of the movie because there was like a whole storyline around the dog but it's yeah. gone uh, you yeah. can't do that i if, there, if a dog disappears in a movie i'm thinking about that dog the entire time like did the dog run away did the dog, the dog die? go I mean, that was what was supposed to happen dog. was the, the story was like the dog was going to run away during the party and uh, but yeah, they, they cut that story. So hmm. yeah, for folks who have, uh, who have seen it and want to see like a full list of those, they're on IMDb of all the things that were cut. It's really <laughs> fascinating. 
Yeah, wow. like and there's like little bits of it you can see elsewhere in the show, in like in the movie because of uh, like they didn't totally cut things out. Like I love they actually had to they had like um, a net full of beer and they had to CGI it so it becomes a <laughs> balloon in the background. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's just like a weird <laughs> balloon some guy's holding because it was supposed to be a bunch of beers. That's perfect for any party wow. at this point. Just put a balloon yeah. in there. Uh, Bree, what, Bree, what's your uh, what's your background with 90s teen movie genre stuff um yeah i mean i guess uh i've seen i've seen just like the clueless was probably like the big one that i mm-hmm. that i rewatched a lot um when did american pie come out that was uh that was 99 yeah. 99 so american pie um and then I was probably more as far as like the teen kind of party movies, more like the John Hughes, yeah, 80s, mm-hmm. 80s oh, sure. eras, more so than the 90s. So, yeah, yeah um, this. Uh, I mean, there were, there were very few 90s teen movies. Like if it's like John Hughes sort of perfected it, then people just didn't make teen movies. It's like, why <laughs> why try to top that? Like and uh, finally sort of took movies like Clueless and Can't Hardly Wait to sort of bring back the genre. Yeah, completely. Uh, and it was interesting to see how American Pie kind of also diverted it into the gross-out genre and, like, something about yes. Mary and all that stuff kind yes. of took it over a little bit. <laughs> and then they made a movie to make fun of teen movies, and I'm so happy that they <laughs> made it because not another teen movie was fantastic. It is fantastic. It was, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you've seen that one but you haven't seen this one, I feel like you'll appreciate that one even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird seeing not another team movie like before you see some team movies because you go watch them, and you're like, wait, I why is this familiar? And yeah, it's sort of like everything that I learned from Simpsons parodies and then watch the original thing of. Right. Yes. Oh, so I relatable. do feel like I yeah, not another team movie. I feel like I did see that before, really like. Mm-hmm. Not knowing like a lot of the tropes, but it's like I did know them because I've seen these movies in sort of the background of just like growing up and of course mm-hmm. and uh, the the tropes just kind of exist. But yeah, the Simpsons analogy is is very spot on because I definitely learned about a lot of, about a lot of things going on culturally from the Simpsons before ever knowing what they were referencing. Oh, absolutely same. And like all I got, I feel like I got all of my impressions from the critic. <laughs> mm. I was like, yeah, I can do uh I can do all of these old actors who aren't around anymore, but I it don't stinks. know who they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh god. Mike, uh tell us about the first time you saw this movie. Uh you know, the first time I saw this movie, it was uh on a uh one of my like it was my first girlfriend. We went on a date to this uh, and saw this movie. It was, uh, you know, I was in high school at the time. So it was, uh, uh, you know, big impactful movie for me. It came out like the year before I graduated from college. So it was, or graduated from high school. And it was um, hmm. uh, really like one that I'm like, oh, this is like super funny and like feels like very relevant to my life. And, um, you know, I may have spent most of the movie thinking about the girl I was with and how not to screw this up. Um, <laughs> I would go on to break up with that girl twice because I'm a bad person. Oh, uh, no. but, uh, but you know, it was, you know, just such a good movie. Um, and I think that, um, you know, just sort of stuck with me. And one that is one of those ones that I rewatched all the time and, uh, just sort of burned into my brain. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's fantastic. I, I think I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I just remember being like, this is fun. Oh, this is funny. Oh, and I have a bunch of crushes, so I rooting for, I'm rooting for this guy with a crush. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, we think it's very relatable because it's got like the, um, you know, semi nerdy lead character mm-hmm. and who's like, you know, I, I very much was the, the kid in school who did not like have a ton of friends and did not, uh, you know, have, be like the, the cool dude at the party. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is my my movie. Yeah, uh, you know, that I, I relate to this dude. I'm probably actually more like uh, Charlie Cosmo's uh, William super nerd character. Oh, but sure. <laughs> Um, but I want to be like Ethan Embry's character. So, uh, <laughs> like, I may have, after this came out, looked into, uh, like, buying clothes that looked way too much like Ethan Embry's. I love it. Uh, it was definitely, it definitely jumped into that late 90s fashion. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had such a cr- crush on Lauren Ambrose at the time, too. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, love this thing. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that it kind of reminds me of the new guy. Um, mm-hmm. because in high school, my best friend looked exactly like the reinvented <laughs> version of the new guy, as opposed to the old <laughs> DJ Qualls version. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. That's so weird. Um, Bree, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this movie so far? Um, it sounds, I mean, it sounds good. You're both selling it to me as, as something, uh, you know, it's kind of like has that nostalgic feel. I was actually thinking when, when you were talking about another movie that I remember feeling like, you know, the big party in high school tropes and, and characters that you can kind of relate to. And Dazed and Confused was another one that like mm, popped in my head. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds like a, like a fun, a fun watch and something that would bring me back to sort of, um, my days of, you know, awkward teenage years and, and, <laughs> and crushes and, and, uh, feeling, feeling like you can't quite, uh, get the crush you want. And that's like the obsession mm. with the crush, I feel like is sort of like the thing with like these nineties, these nineties teen movies. And it sounds, sounds like a funny movie. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that makes, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get into our five reasons, but before we do that, I do want to make a, a note that the movie does have homophobic and racist slurs in it because mm-hmm. unfortunately the nineties exist and that is what was happening. <laughs> Uh, there are also way too many gay panic moments where the idea of like mm-hmm. a gay male rola- uh, romance or relationship is treated like a joke. So lots of growing to do. No surprise there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Unfortunate. But uh, yeah, with that out of the way, let's get into five reasons why uh, Brie and our audience need to see you. Uh, you need to see can't hardly wait. That is the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to start with one that Mike touched on briefly uh, which uh, is the the supporting cast and truly even just appearing for three seconds cast. It's insane, especially mm-hmm. for 1998. Uh, Jason Siegel, um, all but also also Selma Blair, Donald Faison, Clea Duvall, Jerry O'Connell, uh, Sean Patrick Thomas, Jenna Elfman, Melissa Joan Hart, Breckenmeyer, Sarah Rue, Eric Balfour, Chris Owen, Freddie Rodriguez, Jennifer Paz from Steven Universe. Like, if you were in this movie, they gave you a weird golden key to Hollywood and you just got to work forever, I think. Yeah, like, it, it bummed me out because I love Amber Benson and hers is one of the storylines that got cut because, yeah. uh, you know, she was really great on Buffy, but she was she played the stoned girl in this. Uh, and her her thing mostly mm-hmm. got cut out because of them not being able to show uh, teens enjoying uh, marijuana. Oh, such a bummer. Oh, yeah. wow. But yeah, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of lot of a lot of people that seemed like uh, you know big bigger names now that it sound like they're in this movie. Yeah, like um, you know Melissa Joan Hart's a delight in this as the girl who is obsessed with yearbook and getting her yearbook signed by everybody. Perfect, so, so perfect. Yeah, uh, and like Sean Patrick Thomas from Save the Last Dance. Come on, 
Yeah, mm. he's just a very annoying dude <laughs> at the party. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. it's yeah. it's just he's delightful. Like it's like they give so many great little characters in this. Like um, you know, get a chance to just have a moment and just have great jokes. So yeah, yeah. Clay so nice. Clay Duvall was is kind of surprising to me too. Right, but not really. I guess the nineties yeah. were kind of where she was sort of coming into. Yeah, her, like, yeah, her and like one of the other girls from that show, Popular, was in this as well as one of the the hot girls in the in the in the uh, friend group. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's funny because like with uh, with uh, Clay Duvall, I think she has one of the most quotable parts in the movie where she <laughs> starts calling everybody sheep and uh, batting at them. <laughs> I think that was uh, a, and, uh, yeah. I actually believe that that was a different person. <laughs> That was, oh, I'm sorry. No, my, that's totally my dad. fine. She was amazing. I don't remember who played that person who called everybody. Oh, Sarah Rue. I was thinking of Sarah Rue. There we dad. go. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Clea Duvall. Yeah, amazing cast all the way through. Yeah, Clea Duvall was just kind of, I don't know if she had any actual speaking lines. Yeah, she was, she was just, just there. But there, it's just like, like a great cast that was like, if you were, if you were beginning your 90s uh, film career, you were in this movie. Yeah, it's huh. amazing <laughs> how many people got like just camera on them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just like looked up the the cast just out of curiosity, and uh, Jason Segel is credited as Watermelon Guy. Yeah, the yeah. Because, uh, he's, <laughs> is another one of those bits that got cut out is that he had a watermelon filled with vodka uh, that he was going to. He was like so excited about, and then drops it and breaks it. Uh, so you just sort of see him uh, eating watermelon uh, in various parts of the movie, and I think there's some <laughs> other characters in the background eating watermelon. Uh, okay. but they, you don't know why he is doing that because they had to cut that bit. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. I've had, wa- yes. I've had, uh, vodka in a watermelon before and, uh, nice. it's, I think it's much better if you just have somebody eating watermelon without the context <laughs> of it being exactly. filled with vodka. I've definitely been at parties like that where it's like, why does everyone have watermelon right now? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so weird. Uh, I think I had one of those, uh, probably like. Right before the pandemic started, I was at somebody's <laughs> party where so they made a lot of water. They got a lot of watermelon going and almost no one was eating it because it was hidden in the kitchen somewhere. But they did have mustard for the hot dogs. And that was around the time <laughs> where people were talking about the watermelon and mustard combo thing. What? Online. Something people, I missed? Yeah, it was like this weird semi craze where people were like, trust me, it tastes really good. And I tried it and mm. it was really good. It was delightful. Whoa. Hmm. Yeah, mm. so I recommend trying it if you have those both on hand for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I'm skeptical. I'll have to give it a give <laughs> yeah, it a shot. But you should be. Everyone should be skeptical. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I was looking through the cast too. I think one of my favorite names for a character is Nicole Bilderback as Ready to Have Sex Girl. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all and, the names uh, oh the God. people are so funny yeah. in this. Girl whose party it is is wonderful. <laughs> yes. And she's in it a lot. The girl whose party it is has has a big role, but they don't give her a name. Yeah, she's so fu- she's really funny in it. She's great. I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh, and Chris Owen is real fun in this. Like he uh, also he went on to be in the American Pie franchise yes. as uh, Sh- the Shermanator, I believe, is his character in that. Yes, absolutely. Um, but in this, I don't think he has any lines. But he's just a klepto who is stealing things in the background of various shots throughout the film, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, Mike. Let, what's do we, have we hit your first reason yet? No, I mean that was pretty much my first reason too. Oh, was perfect. just they feature so many future stars before they were anyone. Uh, you know, I think that just sort of to add on to that, like uh, you know, it was 
a thing where they they like some of these characters are like background jokes, but um, I think that that sort of comes through that the cast is strong and makes this movie work that very much could not have, especially when you're like cutting it and like changing the rating. And um, you know, this was the first movie that these right these guys these folks had written that Brady movie before, mm-hmm. but this was their first time directing. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was it's you know it, on the commentary too, it's a lot of them talking about like oh man, this shot's out of focus and like. You know, we didn't get this right and we had to re-edit this like because of things not going right. And uh, so there's all these weird cuts in the movie, but like it just all works and, and feels totally natural because they, they pulled it off. Yeah, and I think really the cast great. really supports it. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind I think um, uh, mentioning the, the klepto kid, basically, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and just sort of everything working kind of reminds me of my next reason, um, which is that this movie is entirely pretty much made up of party scenes for the most part. And so there's a lot of funny, subtle things happening in the backgrounds. It really rewards rewatches. That's so interesting. Yes. I was actually just thinking with everything that you've all said about the bits that have been cut out yeah. in my head. I'm like, Oh, that's got to make for like a jarring kind of like edit of people like paying attention to these things in the background more <laughs> than like the main plot of like, what is that guy doing? <laughs> but if it's a party movie as like a lot of these, you know, these nineties teen movies and 80 scenes movie are, it's like, you can get away with that because it's a Completely. party and people do weird things at parties all the time. So yeah, it all works. It's crazy. Yeah. Like the, the movie is interesting. Cause like it starts at like high school graduation, then cuts basically almost immediately to the party and then ends like the next day. And so it's a very tight time frame for the movie, which I think is always a fun thing in a movie. Like keep the time span short, keeps everything really focused. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. What's your next reason? Um, you know, uh, sort of similar to the Future Stars thing is that it is the movie that really birthed the teen movie boom of the early 2000s, Ooh. especially R-rated movies, and also helped, like, revive teen movies to, like, a new level for the first time in years. Like, after Can't Really Wait came out, like, it was sort of an under-the-radar under movie, but I think that it sort of set the groundwork for a movie like American Pie that mm. sort of made the teen movie thing just blow up and make, uh, you know, tons of money, um, you know, before She's All That and a lot of these other uh, movies would come out. Um, and, you know, I think sort of set the the, the tone for the uh, modern teen movie, although it's a little bit less uh, it's like less specifically teen movie, I think, than some of those later ones. Like it doesn't fall into a lot of the tropes. It's sort of its own thing. But um, but, you know, it was sort of, you know, breaking it open for uh, for more of these movies. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and, and for my next person, I really like the structure of it. Like I do, mm-hmm. I do love the whole thing taking place at a big party. It's definitely something we've seen replicated a lot since then. And mm-hmm. within it, it did this great job of balancing everybody's stories instead of just focusing on the everyman character. Like it hit a lot of viewpoints of archetypes nicely. And that felt really important and necessary, especially for like people seeing it in high school or middle school or whatever. I know I definitely focused a lot more on my own problems back then. It took a long time to learn <laughs> about like empathy and stuff. Right. We were the center of our universes uh, as teenagers. <laughs> yeah. This, this like did something that, sh- that everything should have done before. And, and I wish had done for me more often, which is give the viewpoint of the crush. Like that's mm-hmm. so important because crushes are so one-sided and like myopic. It's very true. Yeah, it's yeah, getting the perspective from the crush rather than just being like 
sort of this, uh, this not, not necessarily like unrequited, but this feeling of like longing and, yeah. and never getting the perspective of how that, that person feels. I'm sure there's probably like some comedy that comes into play with that too, of getting like the other side. Oh, absolutely. And it's just also kind of nice to, it's just nice to see <laughs> makes a difference. It's like Jennifer Love Hewitt being like, who am I without this character or without, without <laughs> her boyfriend? And I was like, Oh, that's mm. cool. That's really interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, yeah, cause like at the at the at the very beginning of the movie, she has already broken up with her like longtime boyfriend of four years, um, at, like the most popular jock in school, and she's like the most popular like, you know, yeah, um, prom queen stuff and all that, and so she's like figuring out who she is for the first time, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yay! Nice. Yeah. yeah. What's um, what's your next reason, Mike? Uh, I think the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah, it's got it's, uh, such a great like combination of perfect late '90s stuff, along with some classic songs. Like they have Parliaments uh, is on the soundtrack. It's got Run DMC. Yeah, it's got like classic hip hop. Um, Matthew love- Sweet recorded a song for this that I love called "Farther Down." Mm-hmm. Um, the soundtrack I listened to the soundtrack nonstop. It was uh, it's a really cool combo of yeah classic songs with more modern stuff. Um, they, in the name of the movie itself is named for a replacement song, uh, and it's funny because like the movie was originally the working title was just "The Party," and yeah. uh, they they had to come up with an actual title for it and, and went with "Can't Hardly Wait." Amazing. Oh. I was wondering about that because, like, I mean, Can't Hardly Wait is, like, that's, like, the song that comes to mind when I when I first even heard that you guys were going to do this movie. Yeah, it's, um, uh, and it's, it's they play it over the credits. Like, it's, uh, I think that, that the vibe of that song, too, I think sort of captures sort of the feeling of the movie about, like, that anticipation of, of something about to happen. And I think it sort of fits that high school vibe. Yeah, and that mm. feeling of being, like, I graduated, so can't hardly wait to move on to the next sort of step or whatever and all that. And what's college going to be yeah, like? My life, et cetera. It's got the Third Eye Blind song "Graduate" in it as well. Uh, oh my God. There's a uh, there are multiple Smash Mouth songs in the movie. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. It's- it got some Blink One Eighty Two. There is, uh, but like I was looking, like the the soundtrack has like fifteen songs on it, which is great. But then there's like a ton of music that's not even on the soundtrack that is featured. Um, there's a big plot point around Barry Manilow, which is uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it's yeah, just such a great soundtrack and such a um, you know, I think that sets the tone because it's like a party. Um, one thing they point out in the commentary is like nobody's dancing to the beat with the music uh, <laughs> most of the time. But like uh, they, they they kept all the dancing people in the den in like one room so that they like wouldn't have too much of that happening. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a mm. good call. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's my next reason too. Actually, absolutely. Um, the soundtrack of it is insane. It's insane. Yeah, it's like Sublime and Boys to Men and Power mm-hmm. Man Five Thousand and Busta Rhymes and Missy Elliott and Eve Six. Like it's endless. It is. Yeah, an it's, endless. Movie it's fantastic. Music. It's. It's got classics like, you know, Best the Move. They got some young MC. They got uh, D-Light's Groove is in the Heart. Um, That's a perfect song of that time. It's so good. Yes. It's it's such a fun soundtrack. And um, also like a lot of really good just like like songs I discovered on the soundtrack. There's really nice romantic songs, too, that they used to score like certain sort of romantic scenes. And, um, you know, it's really, really well done. And uh, I think that, you know, feels like a party. It's... um, 
you know, I think that one thing that's really cool about it is that um, because they include some like classic stuff as well, it doesn't feel quite as time locked as it probably would otherwise. That's a good call. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice mix going on of like 80s and 90s yeah. with a couple reachbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting how some of the songs are like popping up and giving it energy and tone and other songs are kind of hanging out in the background, but still influencing the scenes. I mean, I think that's what also makes the editing all cut together really well is that they, it really is like the, the, all the sort of, you know, popular music is used kind of like a score in that it, uh, you know, really sets the tone. There's like always music in the background in almost every scene. And so it's, it really creates like this flow through the movie that, uh, is really, uh, dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's an easy way to make the editing like, uh, Mm -hmm. a a lot more seamless too. If you just have like a music playing from one just choppy scene to the next, then you'll really like, you know. Yeah. And there's like one scene where there's like, uh, there is a uh, there. There's like one awkward sex scene where they like cut. They like there's no music, and I think it sort of like makes the awkwardness hit that much harder. Um, mm. And also, they they mentioned on the commentary how like they were trying to make it so when they cut scenes, they didn't like carry over a song because they wanted it to be like you know this is like a new setting, new song. Um, but there's like one scene where they break the rule just to sort of uh, you know make that cut work. Yeah, that's mm. that's so smart though. I love it. Um, yeah. Shout out to the composer of this movie, David Kitte, who did a huge amount of movies, including Clueless and Dude, Where's My Car and Ghost World. Nice. Oh. Not too bad. Dude, yeah, Dude, Where's My Car? That's another. Uh, Very in a, of a moment, no question. Of, of a, a moment, time. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they use that Matthew Sweet song sort of to score things, too, because they hit it like a few times when there's like big uh, sort of emotional moments. Oh, nice. Uh, what's uh, what's your next reason? Uh, my next reason is that I think that it's just genuinely romantic. Like it, uh, you know, I really think that it's you know it's about this sort of uh, crush uh, from, but I feel like it's not treated the way that crushes usually are in movies, where uh, in in a like I think it's treated in a more realistic fashion, and I think that they mm-hmm. sort of play to the fact that he. Um, hasn't done anything to really know this girl. Like yeah. he, uh, they, 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 they don't try to um, make it to be something. It's not like it's not like it's like this faded thing. It's uh, everybody else is like, really, dude. Like it's uh, hey, Lauren Ambrose you know, is calling I, him out on it constantly. It's great. <laughs> exactly. Like Lauren Ambrose is like the voice of reason in this, and uh, is fantastic. Just like you know, being like you know, this is uh, you know, you don't need to have this crush on this girl. Like it's. Um, and he like tries to write this letter to her to give to her at the party that is, uh, like, he's like, wants to just tell her all the things that he feels. And, um, you know, I think that it gets that sort of sense of romance, but also, um, I think that does it in a more realistic fashion than all these movies and does it in a less troubling way than some movies do mm-hmm. where I, I feel like it gives, um, both him and Jennifer Love Hewitt's character both have agency in this, uh, dynamic mm-hmm. and the way it turns out. And I think that, um, you know, it's not like he confesses his feelings and she just jumps into his arms. Like it's, uh, it's not that kind of movie. It's mm-hmm. very much like, you know, she thinks she, like when you, you sort of like the letter is around the party and you finally get to the <laughs> the letter being read and it's like, it's not like, uh, yes, of course I love you. It's, uh, uh, you know, I, I love that that's a thing where it's, um, you know, more complicated. 
Nice. That's the the right way to say it without spoilers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That uh, that definitely makes me think about my last reason. That is a good transition to it, uh, and that's that the main character has had a crush since the beginning of high school on uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character. And the idea of I'm going to wait until the last possible second to make myself vulnerable <laughs> and ask out my crush, it's very much a thing I did. It's truly who I was yep. in elementary school and middle school. Just be too shy to ever talk to them, then just daydream oh, totally. about them all day and torture myself for being too shy, and then finally ask them out at the last second <laughs> and get rejected. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was me too. So, you know, oh. I definitely very much related. Oh, totally. uh, it was, uh, you know, I think that it shows that in a way that is less, um, you know, like the problematic nice guy type thing that yeah. I think uh, has a problem in real life sometimes True. where, um, you know, people get like indignant that the, oh, the other person is not into them or, yeah. uh, oh. you know, that like it's like, oh, people don't pay attention to me because I'm the nice guy. Oof. And uh, they don't She'll do never that. like, like think, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's oh it's does such a good job of like not falling into that trap, I think. And um I also love that it's and it's not just dudes being like that. Like Lauren Ambrose's character is kind of the female take yeah. on on some of that as well in a uh you know, the outsider type character in a, a really great way. That's a good call. Yeah, when this movie came out, I was in seventh grade and I remember that I asked out my sixth grade crush at the end of eighth grade. <laughs> Nice. Yep. Oh wow! So waited, uh, waited through the, all of middle school. Sure did. Hundred um, percent. That one actually did work out, and then we dated between middle school and high school. It was really nice. Oh, nice. Amazing. It was real nice. That said, I wish I'd spent more of that time talking to that person and enjoying her <laughs> as a human being. Yeah. I think uh, it's nice to note because I feel like these movies sometimes remind me too of like. That it's really not the end of the world. Like they build up so much to this anxiety of asking a crush out. And then it's really like once it's over, it's so much more of a relief than like the tension that's built up for those (laughs) whatever years of waiting. Like I never told crushes that I liked them. I just kind of like graduated and was like, well, if it was meant to be, then I would know. Oh, definitely lived that too. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's, that's, it's just, it's great to, to hear that this movie kind of, uh, has the balance of like, of, Guy has crush on girl, but yeah, you get the 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 reality check on the situation instead of like this sort of. Uh, I feel like these movies can kind of almost like somewhat breed like the incel culture in ways oh, of exactly. like, yeah. Yes. So it sounds like this does a does it in the in the more realistic like and fair way. Yeah, yeah. which is so important because I feel like a lot of the times when when someone is kind of in that mode of like hyper fixating on somebody and like very awkward and shy about it they can come off as 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 incredibly weird looking like (laughs) in a way that if they had just talked to this person they would seem not weird they would come Mm -hmm. off as a human (laughs) right exactly also seems like the reality check too of like of uh the of your crush isn't all who you are like your identity isn't in who you like it's it's separate from that and i think getting both perspectives sounds like a good way to like really put that into into perspective mm, absolutely um, i mean i think one thing that helps with that too is that it's you know it's written by a male and female writing team true. and so you have Good and directed point. by them as well so i think that it uh you know definitely helps to have both those perspectives i think that it's uh so many of these classic teen movies are written by dudes and i think that don't have enough of that uh you know you know uh perspective i think that's a great call great point yeah uh what's your final reason 
Uh, my final reason is that in some ways I feel like this is an early deconstruction of toxic masculinity Ooh. in that, uh, mm. you know, I think that, you know, we talked about sort of the way that the crush is used, like, um, you know, it, 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 the way these movies usually go a certain way, but like the way they do it in this, like it really ultimately comes down to a choice from Jennifer Love Hewitt's character. Mm. Um, and I think they do a really good job giving that female perspective in this and like having like the subject of the crush, not just be an object, but it's actually, um, you know, she gets you sort of see her mindset, like what she's going through, why she broke up with her boyfriends, what's uh, sort of trying to figure out her life. Um, and then I also really love that, uh, you know, we look at Seth Green's character with him being sort of like hip hop and like Lauren Ambrose really like calls him out for this yeah. and like is sort of says like this isn't you like we were friends in like middle school and you weren't this <laughs> like let's uh, like be yourself. Um and uh, also with the the jock dude where you get to, uh, you know, he's like acts like the cool jock. He seems like a popular kid. Uh, but you sort of you get Jerry O'Connell's character comes in as the former popular high school kid and mm-hmm. has a talk with him and tells him like how like it's not like college isn't great because you're not going to be the cool kid anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, you also he also gets to. Um, you know, sort of get torn down in various ways uh, through the movie. And um, yeah, he, he's you know, I think powerless that, in a lot yeah. of ways in it. Exactly. Like Basically. it's uh, his friends all abandon him. Like uh, yeah. it's pretty early it's, on. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's very much like, uh, like it is not the cool dude is not going to be the cool dude in this. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a movie for the, for the outsiders, for the more average kids. Definitely. That's a great call. And that's our five yeah. reasons. Bree, what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it sounds like you, you've both done a good job of making it seem sort of separate from from like the the John this sort of genre. And uh it seems like a good a good movie to watch, considering I have seen like uh, not another teen movie and mm-hmm. sort of the ones that came after it. Um and I am interested, I think that's like the most intriguing part is that you do get like the the dual perspective rather than like the goal of the movie being like get the girl like mm-hmm. uh um just the object pursuit of a woman so i uh yeah i'm intrigued nice fantastic oh i'm so glad mike we did it <laughs> we did, did it. it we did it high five high five high five I, I kind of wonder sometimes I'm like uh, on this, I'm like, do I ever say, I've never been like, no, I'm not going to watch that. I'm always like, yeah, I'm open to it. <laughs> I think that's totally fair. I, I've i kind of become the same way. Like in the old days of this podcast, I was very like reticent and I was like, I don't know. It just sounds dumb. And now I'm just like, nah, you know, it doesn't cost me anything. Sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pandemic. It's like people are like, yeah, we need something to watch. We're, we, we've gone through everything. So yeah, let's it go. Takes, takes a lot. takes a lot for something to sound horrible. Um, <laughs> and most things that sound horrible are not worth uh, talking about on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm also very sold on the idea of all these like stars that are in it before they were really stars. Oh, so so cool. I think that's a, I just want to do like a bunch of, it'd be like one of those movies I like pause several times. Yes. Uh, to notice all the the background uh, characters. Yeah, like it's a movie where I still know those things. I you know I watched this a million times. I just watched this again like a year ago or so. I did, you know watched it again last night, and I was still like, oh, there are things I never noticed in this movie before. Right. Um, this is like my second time listening to the commentary, and I. Uh, was like one one of my favorite bits that was sort of like a fun uh, Where's Waldo thing is there is a kissing couple that is just kissing in the background of most scenes. 
Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, it's the kissing couple. And, uh, you know, it's a thing I never noticed before. So, yeah, it's a it's a fun movie that can definitely make for good rewatches. Also a great high school uh, reality and trope of, of a, a couple that's always making out yep. like somehow you're like, when do yes. you fit in like <laughs> eating and lunch and, and class between all of this <laughs> This cardio work you're doing with your mouths. <laughs> right? I remember I was, uh, I didn't know, I like knew nothing about girls in high school. I was terrible at everything. Mm-hmm. I remember like me and my first girlfriend were definitely doing too much PDA at oh, the time. Uh, I remember, I just remember like us kissing like in choir together and some other person uh, commenting on this and uh, me, uh, me being like, oh, I guess you're not supposed to do this everywhere. <laughs> That's so funny. I may or oh may not gosh. have experienced that a little bit last year. <laughs> <laughs> I was the person who, uh, because I never had dated anyone in high school because I never mm-hmm. told anyone I liked them. And mm-hmm. I was the one who would probably like see a couple making out and you would just hear me like audibly like sigh, like, that's relatable that's very relatable yes i've yeah yeah being being the sighing person is very relatable in general Mm. (laughs) yes truly truly um audience if you've seen can't hardly wait uh you should follow us on facebook or twitter or instagram at need to see pod and let us know what you think about the movie you can join the Facebook group and also talk to us and tell us the movies we need to see. What are some 90s movies that are very teen-focused that you liked? Those are things to talk about. Cool deal. <laughs> uh, Bree, cool recommendation deal. for this week? Um, my recommendation is buying good quality pens. Ooh, I love uh, that. Yes, I bought a bunch of yeah. uh, crappy cheap pens and I'm very much regretting it because I don't know. I'm like, that's the thing about pens. They're like bobby pins. They just disappear and <laughs> there's no explanation for it. But I bought a pack of cheap pens and I very much regret it because they're just not, they just make writing frustrating. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Like, I collected all the random pens around and put them in like a pen drawer. Mm. And I'm like, I hate all these pens. I need to like get better pens. That's funny. Yes. I was recently experiencing this very same thing. Um, where I hated all of the pens I have, and I was like, I'm going to go buy, I'm going to find out the best pens, I'm going to buy those pens, and I'm going to friggin' love them. And then instead, uh, my grandma died, and I inherited a bunch of pens from her apartment while we were cleaning it out. So oh, I now that's even like, better. Yeah, I tried them all Are they fancy pens? So does she have good taste in pens? She has some cool, pa- some cool, some cool paste and tents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she has some good pen taste. Very pretty. A lot of them look like they're from donation, like charitable donations mm. that she made. They were like, um, yeah, these little, uh, I guess, rewards for donating stuff. You get all these cool pens, and one of them had from the Flanagan Foundation. Yeah, and, you know. exactly. And I think one of them had her her name on it or dad's name or something. So I gave that to my mom. I'm like, no, you should have mm. this one. <laughs> yeah. During the pandemic, I went through a phase of like uh, buying. Uh, I started buying like eat like glass pens with the ink that you dip in, um, which was really cool. Cool. That's amazing. Uh, became a lot of work though. I was like, okay, now I don't have time to <laughs> dip into ink. Uh, <laughs> But highly recommend if you're just looking to try something different. I'm not writing letters during the Civil War. I don't have time for (laughs) this. Don't have time. Sending love letters to all my high school crushes that I never said I liked (laughs) uh, over the pandemic because I thought the world was ending. Amazing. (laughs) Definitely very movie related. Uh, Mike, (laughs) do you have a recommendation for us? 
Uh, I do. I kept going back and forth because I was like, oh, one recommendation. What am I going to recommend? But I wanted to recommend a comic book story uh, from the Fantastic Four because, you know, there's the the movies coming out soon. People are getting hyped about it. Uh, There's a story called Solve Everything that I love. Uh, It's by writer Jonathan Hickman. It's in the first volume of his Fantastic Four comics. It's about uh, Reed Richards, who is the father figure of the Fantastic Four, decides he's going to solve everything. And uh, I'm very much related as someone who's always trying to solve people's problems. And, uh, you know, like what happens when you're like, okay, I'm going to fix global warming. I'm going to fix all the world's problems and how that uh, is a a task that may mean you have bitten off more than you can chew. Uh, So it's a great, great story about problem solving and how dudes always want to problem solve. uh, And, uh, and, you know, how things, it leads to problems in his marriage. It leads to problems, uh, all over the place. He, he goes and he hangs up, hangs up with the other Reed Richards from other dimensions, <laughs> so they can all solve problems together. There's like a hundred Reed Richards in this. It's wow. great. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Uh, let's see. My recommendation is if you have the type of crush that causes you to never talk to your crush, uh, I recommend mm. stop having crushes. <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> uh, which is easier said than done, but. If I could say that paralyzing crushes make you put your worst foot forward, they only work against you. There's no reason to have them. And so it's you have to treat it like a bad habit that you need to break. You can have people you're interested in, but if you're spiraling on a paralyzing crush, catch yourself every time, say no to yourself mentally, and try and break that habit. It worked for me. Amen. Yes. Whew, that's great advice. I feel like uh, so much time is is spent on uh, on just sort of doting over one person yeah. and and it's like there's so much more than just a crush in life and if they and it's like what is all the point if you're never going to say anything or if you are going to say something and then it's a no like that's going to hurt so much more than if you just kind of like kind of compart not compartmentalize it but sort of just keep it as as that that's what it is it's a crush it's not something you have to it's not an end-all be-all to to your life yeah not, yeah exactly like <laughs> You know, uh, when you get to the point, like when, like I remember, there was this girl in high school. Like I, I you know, when I got to the point that I was writing poetry about her, I, I hadn't talked to her. Yeah, that's like course. a bad sign. That's, that's not a bad no, thing. no. And like uh, I also remember, I wrote. I had like a class where I wrote like a, 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 a um, story about uh, this girl I used to know, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is so well written! Like you should do something with this." And then I sent it to the girl, and that was a terrible idea. Oh, no. uh, so uh, just you know, uh, be open, be yourself, uh, and and you know, treat people like people, and and hope that they will treat you like a person too. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's such a better baseline. <laughs> Yes. And if it's mutual, then great, but it's not yeah. uh, the end of the world if it's not. And, and exactly. building up all that that anxiety for a crush, is uh, it's just not worth your, your mental health, uh, the, the, the anxiety that comes with crushes. So. It's so true. So ultimately, don't be like the lead of this movie. Yes, that's <laughs> the lesson we should all be learning. Uh, yeah. I remember I had a crush on a, on a girl who I saw on my bus route for a while. And nice. and I finally made myself talk to her, and I was like, "This person uh, doesn't have great 
breath and has a bunch of problems <laughs> that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't talked to her. So this was like good mm-hmm. fact finding for me. Yes. Also, like it's so often you'll either find someone is so much more awesome or so much less awesome than you think. And either one is good to know. It's so helpful. Right. It's just it's a great point because you off. build someone up to be somebody more than in your head than, than what they could be. And it's just, you know, yeah, rip the bandaid off. I, I also had a crush on somebody on my bus route and uh, uh, <laughs> I ended up not telling them, but my friend did. And oh, I no. remember... It wasn't it wasn't mutual, but it was cool because we just ended up being like good friends in high school and it was fine. And it was like, honestly, I appreciate I was mad at my friend when it happened, but I appreciated that it Hmm. happened because it would have been so much worse to just like have this person kind of just like taking up so much of my brain space when it it didn't need to be that he didn't need to be there. So, yeah, it makes such a difference. Oh, good things that I wish I had learned uh, after watching any episode of the TV show Doug as a kid. (laughs) because <laughs> that is my Dog. source for that i'm like yeah I but then how are you ever gonna get together with sally mayonnaise patty mayonnaise yeah patty exactly. mayonnaise. Oh, patty. Uh, i'm sorry i went to my fake improv name of sally <laughs> <laughs> that's okay we all have our improv go-to names oh <laughs> so true um yeah uh oh, that's that that for me i blame that one on all my my terrible crush patterns <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think of Hey Arnold and Helga's yes. uh, unhealthy crush on an obsession with with uh, with Arnold and like the shrine she built for him oh of Lord, like yes. gum or whatever. <laughs> I was like, this is this is teaching kids very unhealthy crush mm-hmm. habits. Yeah, here. it's so true. Oh, and so she also rough. bullied him. Yeah. Oh, that one was rough too. It's true. Did he have a crush? It on seems like writers there? have just converted into giving the bad habits to the female characters now. And it's like, no, just don't have anybody have the bad habits. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Just yeah. give us better, <laughs> give us better examples to follow. Yeah. Oh, it's so rough. Um, it's time for plugs though. Mike, hit us with those plugs. Uh, you know, you can check out my book, The 30 Rock Book, in fine bookstores everywhere, online, audiobooks, wherever you uh, want to go read. Uh, and also, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Mike Rowe. Uh, I'm the Mike Rowe without a W in his name. I am not the Dirty Jobs dude. <laughs> um, and uh, you can also hear me on NPR Public Radio. And I write for the website LAist, where uh, you know I write about arts and entertainment and um, all sorts of fun stuff happening around Los Angeles. Um, uh, sometimes I'm interviewing creative people and, uh, you can also find me writing about things to go do back when we're doing things and there's not a terrible pandemic. Oh, perfect. Free. Uh, me plugs, um, <laughs> as always <laughs> me plugs <laughs> at, at Indiana Jones, uh, on Instagram and, uh, yeah, doing sketch comedy, Still making videos with my team fever. Um, hopefully doing live stuff soon when we're out of this surge. And that's pretty much it right now. Um, yeah, Brindiana Jones on Instagram. That's where I'm at mostly. I, I'm on Twitter and Facebook also, just Brianna Elaine Jones. Um, but mostly on IG. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, and as usual, I think... The only thing I'm doing aside from this podcast right now is uh, the Cyber Jam every Monday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, Pack Dash, or, or uh, yeah, or Pack Pack Dash Theater on. Why, why am I saying that? I think it's Pack Theater on 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 Twitch. I'm thinking of their Venmo, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Pack Theater Venmo. Wow, uh, my brain works. Um, but yeah, it's an improv jam. It's online. Find us on Facebook, and you can click through and do improv with me. Always a fun time. 
Go do it. Cozy is the most fun to do improv with. Oh, too kind. Too kind. It is really fun. It's at this point, it's a bunch of people who like most of them. A lot of them don't live in L.A. And they all are like, hey, Cozy's great. I'm like, oh, I work over over a lot on the over the Internet, too. My my charm is so effective. What a nice surprise. <laughs> it's really I've never done improv with you, Cozy, I don't think. We got to fix that sometime. That would be so fun. Yes. I also don't ever, I've never really done like improv uh, that much in general. So I think uh, that's something I got to fix also. Um, well, I'd be, I'd be the best person to start with then, honestly, when it comes to at least uh, a jam. Cause it's the silliest. It's a bunch of people who have no particular play style and just want to have their brains in a place that is something other than, than the pandemic. Yes. So Escapism. Funny. We need it. We do. It's so true. Uh, if you are listening folks, Give us a five-star rating. That would be nice. Leave us a review. Subscribe to this podcast so you can hear more convincings. Uh, If you leave a five-star review, we'll read it on the air, and it will be fun to hear, and we will make sure that we make it not embarrassing or weird. Uh, We just love you. (laughs) Uh, We love you. We do. You're very nice. We appreciate you. You're very good. Very good. (laughs) Uh, special thanks to our talented and wonderful editor Pete Burns thank you thank so you. much Mike for being on this show thank you for having me absolutely thank you. and thanks so much for listening to You Need to See This Woo! seriously guys I'm, I'm over it really what nothing sorry it's just Well, he is the most dope guy in school. Yeah, and school's over.